church. We are the church. Jesus was clear with us, go into the world and make disciples. Hope Community Church, we know our vision is to reach the triangle and change the world. What does that really look like? Well, for us, we do that through our mission of loving people where they are and encouraging them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. But what does that really mean? Does it look like coming to a building every Sunday? Or if we're honest, two times a month? Is that really what this is about? Is this really the only way to love people where they are? Is this even the best way? We say as a church, we should live what we learn, serve where we're gifted, connect with others, share our story, give of our resources. Can we even do all of those things in a room with thousands of people? And even if we can, is one hour a week enough? What if we were made for more? What if we were made to connect with each other? What if we were made to serve one another? What if we were made that way, and then instead we lived our lives as though we were fully independent, like we had to do all of this life on our own? Would we end up most likely feeling lonely, disconnected, with many needs around us going unmet, our neighbors left to themselves? That's not the church. We know in our hearts there's more. The truth is, the gospel tells us we need more than ourselves. We need Jesus laying down his life for us so that we can have life. That new life is a life in community as his church, a community that then lays down their life for others just as Jesus did for them. Community is the context in which we live out our mission. That's when we'll be the church God has called us to be. That's the way for us to love people where they are and to encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how we'll reach the triangle and change the world, by going to them. To do that, we need each other. It's what we were made for. It's what we're called into. Gospel, community, mission. Hope Small Groups. Some of you are old enough like me, you remember the days of Get Smart, or maybe you actually saw the remake of the movie Get Smart. You guys remember the cone of silence? Remember that? This morning we have a, a cone of honesty that we're going to put right over the auditorium this morning. And I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be honest. I want you to raise your hand. Just do it. How many will admit in public in front of other people, I am on Facebook? Just raise your hand. If you will, I mean, look around. This is why we have Celebrate Recovery at Hope. Um, <laughs> A lot of people on Facebook. Now, you're not alone. You're, you're just a part of a billion people, a billion people worldwide who are on Facebook. Now, this statistic blew my mind. I discovered this week that 700,000 people join Facebook every day. 700,000 people. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know how I feel about Facebook. I think it's stupid. And I, I think it's stupid because I don't really care that you just walked your dog. I don't care. I don't really care that today you had the best pedicure of your life. Don't really care. Or you just took your dream vacation. I don't care that your kid's an honor student. I really don't. It doesn't mean a hill of beans to me. And I know, I know that being on Facebook helps you feel like you have more of a life than you really have. I get that. But it just seems like to me it is a total waste of time. However, it could be just me. I mean, can a billion people really be wrong? So I decided, okay, someone just said, yep, I like the way you think. <laughs> we got to hang out and party sometime, okay, you know what I'm saying? But, um, so a couple of weeks ago, I thought, you know, I'm, if you can't beat them, join them. And I decided I finally was going to launch my Facebook page. Now, I launched it, yeah, I only could keep it up for about an hour. 
because so many of you wanted to be my friend, and I'm not ready to be your friend yet. So it, was, it put me in a stressful situation, so I just took it back down. But I thought it was important that I show you my Facebook page, because in it I revealed something I've never shown to anyone before. Most of you think I'm just a mild-mannered pastor, which I am. But what do you do all the rest of the week? And so on Facebook, I finally came clean. I am actually an international spy. I am an international man of intrigue, and there I am over in London on a reason. There I am. You'll notice I'm carrying, I'm carrying my Glock, an international spy never leaves home without his Glock, especially in America because you could leave your Glock at home and the government come in and take it while you're gone. So, I, you know, make sure you take it with you. Here's another one, uh, debriefing with Hillary right after a recent assignment. <laughs> what was amazing to me is I was only on for an hour, but I want you to look at some of the posts I got while I was gone. A Joe, of course, at him, I met a jump roping competition. Not a big shock there. What else did I get? Sarah, my assistant, heads up, cheerleaders protesting outside the building. You knew that was going to happen eventually. There's Hillary. You promised to take Bill out. What's up? I got to get back to her on that one. Here's what Laura said. No, you're in Switzerland, but hurry home. Trash cans are still at the curb. You never quit, never quit being a husband. What's the next? Oh, Oprah, she's driving me crazy. When are we going to do that interview? We're going to have to do that eventually. Here's probably my favorite, President Obama. Sorry you didn't get credit for the whole Osama bin Laden thing because you deserved it. He's one of the few people who know it was actually me. It wasn't any SEAL team, okay? And so he gave me credit for that. And then Tom Cruise, he drives me crazy. Aliens really do exist. Pray for that guy. I'm working with him, but in just one hour, that's the kind of stuff I got. But understand, that's the beauty of Facebook. That's what I'm realizing. That's the beauty of, you can lie on Facebook. You can pretend to be anything you want to be because at the end of the day, you know what Facebook is? You know what social media is? It's image management. You're putting out there what you want people to know, what you want people to think about uh, you. And I always thought that, but I actually found a study this week. It, it says this, a study conducted jointly by two German universities found rampant envy on Facebook, the world's largest social network that now has over one billion users and has produced an unprecedented platform for social comparison. They're going to say they found that uh, people aged in their mid-30s were most likely to envy family happiness, while women were more likely to envy physical attractiveness. These feelings of envy were found to prompt some users, get this now, to boast more about their achievements on the site run by Facebook to portray themselves in a better light. They lie, they exaggerate, they pretend, right? Men were shown to post more self-promotional content on Facebook to let people know about their accomplishments while women stressed their good looks and social lives. In other words, it's image management. This is what I want you to think about me. This is what I'm going to allow you to know about me, whether it's true or not. But in reality, what really drives Facebook is this. We are a lonely group of people. And what drives Facebook, what drives social media is that we all want to be known. But even more than that, we all want to be known for something. I mean, think about it. Even those of us who are on Facebook, aren't on Facebook, and we think it's stupid, think it's dumb, think it's a waste of time. We want to be known as the people who are so secure, we don't really care that we're not known for anything. I mean, that's just kind of the way we're wired. But the reality is, every one of us want to be known. We want to be known at some level. Every one of us want to be known for something. In fact, I made a list of some of the things we want to be known for. Some of you would never admit it this weekend, but you want to, know, you want to be known for your good looks. And that, that's reflected through your Facebook page. You only put pictures up there that are flattering that, to you. Some of you want to be known for your incredible talent. Some of us want to be known for our lifestyle. Maybe you live a very extravagant lifestyle. 
That's the image that you want to portray. Maybe you live a very meager lifestyle and you're proud of it. That's the image you want to put up there. A lot of us want to be known for our political stances, you know. We're either very, very conservative or we're very, very liberal. And we want people to know that. Some of us want to be known for our accomplishments. Some of us want to be known for the success of our kids. Some of us want to be known uh, for our education. Or we want to be known as being a great parent. Or we want to be known as being a great spouse. That's the image we want to put out there. But we could go on and on and on. But we all want to be known. And we all want to be known for something. Now let me just say there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. What is that? Oh, it's the bus. Okay, okay, we're back to this. Something shiny. Bunny. Uh... I didn't take my pill this morning. <laughs> Good luck. Um, it's okay. It's okay to want to be known to be known for something. I mean, that's how God made us. He made us to want to be in community with other people. The problem is when there's a gap. The problem is when there's a discrepancy between what we want to be known for and then what we really are. Because when there's this gap in our life, when there's this discrepancy between what we want to be known for and what we really are, we have a tendency to pretend. We have a tendency to exaggerate. Maybe we even lie because we know deep down inside we're not really living up to the image. And when that's the case, when we have to pretend and exaggerate and lie, we're setting ourselves up for something that is really unhealthy in life. We're setting ourselves up for secrets. And the people that we care about the most are the ones that we keep the secrets from because the people that we care about the most are the ones that we're absolutely most concerned about impressing. Well, let me just say this. The reality is this. All of us have some gaps in our life. All of us have some discrepancy in our life between who we want people to think we are and who we really are. And even since we're, we go to kindergarten and preschool, because of that, we, we learn how to pretend. We learn how to exaggerate and cover. For example, if you're here this weekend and you're a single guy, and say there's a gap between the reality of who you are and who you want all the ladies out there to think you are, you'll probably pretend, cover up, exaggerate about your car, exaggerate about how important you are at work or your education. You'll do that because you've you got you to close that gap. You've got to close that discrepancy. If you're a single girl, you know what I'm talking about, you know? That's why you'll invite some guy over for dinner, but then you'll run down to the macaroni grill, buy their lasagna, bring it home, put it in a pan that looks like you, you made it, right? Why do you do that? Image management. You want to present your way to this guy, to this guy in such a way that says, I can cook. I can take care of my man. I mean, you don't have to say it like that, but that's really, that's really what you're trying to get across. It's not just singles. I'm telling you, married couples are masters at image management. That's why you can get up on Sunday morning and fight like a cat and a dog. Face red all the way to church, spit flying out of your mouth. Walk into the church smiling ear to ear, holding hands. Why do we do that? Everybody thinks we're a happy couple. Everybody thinks we have a great marriage, a great re relationship. We don't want to ruin that image, image management. We do it with our kids. You and I both know our kids. They're little hellions, right? Right? But what do we put all over the back of the SUV? They're the greatest student ever, greatest soccer player ever, greatest cheerleader ever. Nobody has a bumper sticker that says, I'm a proud parent of a 12-year-old who still wets their bed. <laughs> Nobody says that. Why? Image management. I got the smartest, best kids in the world. Maybe you drink too much, and the only person who really knows about it is your spouse. I mean, you don't want other people knowing that. You don't want to be perceived as a drunk or an alcoholic, so you spend a lot of time in your life, a lot of effort, a lot of energy covering that up. 
Maybe the perception you give off is that you're living the dream. Big fancy house, fancy car, designer clothes. I got it all. I got it going on. But the gap, the discrepancy, the reality is that you're in debt up to your eyeballs, right? So when there's this gap, when things aren't as they really, aren't really, are, aren't really as they appear, we exaggerate, we, we, we cover, we pretend, uh, and we hope every day that nobody really discovers who and what we really are. Let me just say this. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, just for a second, you don't want to do this very long. But imagine being me. I have to sit up here every weekend and pretend I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Worse than that, I sit up here and have the audacity to tell you how to live your life. And the natural assumption, and it's okay, it should be, the natural assumption is that I can do everything I'm talking about. I'm telling you, no one is that good. Notice, no one is that good. People come up to me and say, man, I, I felt like you were speaking directly to me today. How did you know what was going on in my life? <laughs> Take a wild guess. Because <laughs> I'm struggling with the exact same thing. People say, you're so transparent. I am not transparent. I'm just realistic. I'm just honest. I'm honest, honest enough to tell you that I say things I shouldn't say. I'm honest enough to tell you that you know, I can talk to you about finances and doing the right thing with your finances. I, I often spend money on things that I know I shouldn't have spent money on. I think things I shouldn't think. I'll never forget, a few years ago, I was pastoring a church in California, and a lady came up to me, and she's just an old nag. She'd been there about 40-some years, and, <clears throat> and we were just like this all the time. And uh, I'll never forget, she came to my office. She was upset about something I said in a message, and, and we were kind of going at it. And she said this. She said, listen, young man, I was here. I was young back then. I was here long before you got here, and I'll be here long after you're gone. This was my thought. This is exactly what I thought. I'm not lying. I said, uh-uh. <laughs> now I'm going to stay here till you die. <laughs> and I'm going to bury you. And I'm going to dance a jig on your grave. That is exactly what I thought. I'm not lying to you. Pastors should not think like that. You know Joel Osteen never thinks like that. <laughs> you know that. That's a positive dude. So there's this, there's this pressure that I, I, I constantly live under, and I'm not complaining, I'm not asking for sympathy, I'm just being honest. I mean, if you go to work tomorrow and you find out that your, your, your boss's marriage is in trouble, that's no big deal. My marriage blows up, well, that's another issue. So we, what do we do? Well, things aren't what they should be. We lie, we pretend, we exaggerate, we cover up, we put on the mask, we, and it's because in all of our lives there's this gap, there's this discrepancy between what we want to be known as and known for, but what we know we really are. So here's my question this weekend. Who knows who you really are? Now just think about that for a second. Outside of yourself and God, he knows. Who knows who you really are? And I know what the pushback is. You're like, well, Mike, I mean, that's a great idea, but if people really knew me, if people knew what I struggled with, if people knew what my baggage was, if people knew what that gap was in my life, they wouldn't like me. Well, newsflash, they don't like you anyway. <laughs> and they don't like you because they don't really know you. They just like the image. They just like what you're allowing them to get to know. But they've never had the opportunity to really know you because you're so good at image management. You're so good at hiding and covering up what you don't want them to know. So even though we all want to be known for something, 
It's not enough just to be known for something. Oh, he's this, she's this, right? Even though we all want to be known by somebody, it's not enough just to be known by somebody, to have a relationship with somebody. I mean, to be honest, some of the difficulties you're struggling with this weekend are because you found some people that you could be known by. Unfortunately, they had the same secret that you have, and they accepted you, and they understood you, and you really got along. In fact, some of you got along way too well, right? You know what I'm saying? So instead of getting better, you got worse. Oh, they knew you, but they were as big a loser as you were. You found out they struggled with the same thing. That's not the answer. By the way, parents, I'll give you something to worry about. Here's a statistic I just, my wife gave me yesterday. According to the National Center on Addiction and Drug Abuse at Columbia University, teens who spend time on social networking sites are five times likelier to use tobacco, three times likelier to use alcohol, and twice as likely to use marijuana compared to teens who spend no time on social networking sites. You say, why is that? Because who they can't connect with at school, who they can't connect with on their sports team, they can connect with them on the internet because there's a lot of people that are willing to connect. Something to think about. So just being known by someone isn't the answer. Just being known for something isn't the answer. What is the answer? I mean, that's what church is all about. Give me the answer, Mike. Well, it's a biblical answer. And here's the answer. This is how God would say, what you need is, you need to be known by a few people who will accept you just as you are, but they love you too much to let you stay the way you are. By the way, that's our mission here at Hope Community Church. We talk about it all the time. Love people where they are and encourage them to grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't care where you've been in life. A lot of you come with some very checkered past. You come into hope with a lot of baggage. Absolute love having you here. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what you've been up to. We don't care what kind of baggage you bring in. But here's the reality. We don't want you to stay that way. We don't want you to stay in the bondage to what you're in bondage to. We don't want you to stay shackled to the past. We want to come alongside you, love and accept you where you are, and then encourage you to become the person that God created you to be and live the life of freedom in Christ that Jesus Christ made possible. That's why we exist as a church. And this may come as a real shock to you, but understand, from the day the church was created, that's why the church was created. That is what it was created to provide for people. That's what it was created to be. Now, one of the things I really love about Hope is we have these people who come from all these different backgrounds, all these different churches, all these different religions. I had a lady walk up to me one Sunday under the portico, and somebody brought her up, and she said, are you the priest? I said, not exactly. And she said, well, is my ass out? And Carl said, was standing there, Carl said, no, but your head's on sideways. But anyway, some of you will get that about 2 o'clock, and that's a, that's a, that's a pretty funny joke. We have people coming from Catholic backgrounds, Episcopal backgrounds. I mean, we got them coming from every background. And your church is all different and your style of worship was different. I don't care what church you came from. When God created the church, he created it to be a place where broken people could show up and say, I'm not really what you think I am. I got gaps. There are discrepancies in my life. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be two-faced. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to get into my life. I'm going to give you the opportunity to accept me and know me. And I just got to tell you, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be absolutely incredible at this. After all, we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven. We should be amazing forgivers. On top of that, 
Think about this. God accepted us where we were in spite of all of our junk. We should, mo- we, we should then be in return the most accepting people in the world of others with all of their junk in spite of what they've done, in spite of where they've been. As Christians, we get it. We've been given second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth chances. We should be experts at giving second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and hundredth chances. We should be a community of people that is just known for an attitude that says, we don't care what kind of baggage you have. It is not our place to condemn you. We are not going to judge you. We're going to come alongside and we're going to accept you and we're going to love you where you are and we're going to encourage you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're going to love you where you are, but we love you too much to let you stay where you are. We're going to extend grace and mercy to you. You know why? Because grace and mercy has been extended to us. Thank you, Mac. I mean, if there was ever a place where a couple could walk up and say, I know you think we have a great marriage and a great relationship, but things aren't as they appear. If there's ever a place where a couple could be open and say that, it ought to be the local church. If there's a place on planet Earth where a single adult could walk in and say, there's a gap, there's a discrepancy between who people think I am and who I really am, it ought to be the local church. You you know where that has become in society? Bars. Remember Cheers? Everybody knows your name. Come in with all your weird idiosyncrasies and your baggage. Let's have a beer and talk about it because I'm just going to love you the way you are. Bars, unfortunately, have become what the church is supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you, if there's a church on planet Earth that lives this out, I really believe it's this church. And some of you know that. I think there's a vibe at this church that says we don't really care where you've been and what you've been up to. We're going to love you. We're going to come alongside. We're going to walk down this road with you so that you can become everything that God wants you to become. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. But I want you to understand something. At the end of the day, the choice is yours. At the end of the day, you're going to have to figure this out. Who am I going to do life with? Who am I going to surround myself with in life? What's the crowd that can actually help me change my life, become the person that God created me to be, the person deep down inside I want to be? Who can help me close those gaps and do away with those discrepancies? That's the job of the church. It's what God designed us to do. In fact, let me show you some verses that talk about it. Here's one, James 5, 16. James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. And and some of you hear that and you respond, I don't don't think so. That's not me. I'm, I'm private about my faith. You ever hear that? My faith is just between me and God. I only keep my stuff to, my, my stuff to myself. And if I'm going to confess to anybody, it's not even going to be a priest. I'm only going to confess to God. Now understand, that is certainly your choice. But if that's the choice you make, just you and God, you and God, understand you're going to spend the rest of your life doing image management. That's how you're going to spend your life. James goes on to say, therefore, confess your sins to each other, verse 16, and pray for each other. You don't gossip about each other. You pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. Now, I'm just going to tell you, every one of us, including me, every one of us, we have things in our lives that we need to be healed of. If you don't need to be healed of something, you're in the wrong church. You should go to Colonial or Providence. They're they're better people there than at Hope. They're like a real church. Okay. (laughs) Every one of us have something 
in our lives that we need to be healed of. So James says, if you want to be healed, don't just tell God, tell somebody in your life. And I know what you're thinking. Because churches down through history, we've had a tendency to be judgmental. And, and, and to throw stones, right? So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this. But if I tell somebody what's really going on in my life, what are they going to think of me? I can tell you what they're going to think. They're going to think you're a lot like them. They're going to think you're average. They're going to think you're honest. They're going to think that maybe you're just real. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to pray for you. And maybe, just maybe, God's going to honor their prayers because look at how verse 16 ends. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So let me ask you this question. Who knows you well enough to pray specifically about the things in your life that are causing the gap? Who knows you well enough to pray specifically about the things in your life that are causing the discrepancies? And the answer, if the answer is no one, I'm just going to tell you, that, that's a problem. That's a problem. You're not going to get healed. Here's another verse, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us now consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In other words, hey, let's figure out how we can help each other be better. Iron sharpening iron. Then he goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Let me just tell you something. The only way I can encourage you is to know where you need to be encouraged. The only way someone can come alongside of me and spur me on to love and good deeds is if I get honest enough to let them know where I'm struggling, where I have this gap, where, where I'm failing and where I'm blowing it. That's the only way they can encourage me and spur me on. Here's another one, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you may be tempted. Now notice this part, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. He says, when you love each other this way, when you're carrying each other's burdens, you're doing what Christ had in mind. In other words, and understand he's talking about sin burdens. He's talking about gap burdens. So here's the question. Who's helping you carry the thing? Who's helping you carry the burden that's creating the gap between what you want to be known for and what you're really known for. Who's the person in your life who really understands what's going on in your life, that struggle, that burden, that sin, and is praying for you every single day? Who's the person in your life that on a regular basis they pick up their phone and they call you and they say, I just have a few minutes, but I just wanted to ask, how are you doing today? Who's the person who can encourage you when you're weak? Who's the person who even knows when you're weak? You go all through the Bible, we all, have, we all have seasons of weakness, times of weakness. Remember David when he should have been at battle? He stayed home and he saw Bathsheba and he was living out those years of middle-aged prosperity and he was weak and his gap opened big time. When are you weak? Who knows that you're weak when your spouse is traveling? Who knows that you're weak when you're traveling? So they call you on the road and say, are you doing okay? You're doing the right thing. Are you making wise choices? I'm praying for you. Who knows you like that? 
because you were never meant to carry that burden by yourself. And if you're carrying it by yourself, I bet you're not carrying it very well or you would have sobbed it already, right? So that whole thing is just between me and God. How's that working out for you, right? Here's another verse, Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. In other words, Paul says if you're going to have this atmosphere, this attitude among your church, you know, when somebody comes up and shares something with you, you can't be shocked. You can't be, you can't get, I would never, right? I mean, Jesus didn't do that with us, did he? He didn't do that with anybody. You remember John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, the religious leaders, they wanted to stone her. Jesus diffused that situation. They wandered off. We're left with that encounter between Jesus, the king, the Messiah, the son of God, a woman caught in adultery. And Jesus says, where are all those guys that wanted to stone you, that condemned you? They're gone. I don't even see them anymore, she said. And Jesus said, what? I don't condemn you either. But you got to change your evil ways, woman. You gotta get your act together. You can't keep living like this. Jesus was the first one to love people where they are, but then say, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. So we need to get in the habit of accepting people the way they are, just warts and all. By the way, let me give you something to think about. Do you know why God accepts us just the way we are? It's because God knows that the path to influence is down the path of acceptance. You will never, ever in your life influence someone if they don't feel that you first accept them. Think about it. Has anyone in your life ever influenced you that you didn't feel accepted by them? Right, right. No acceptance, no influence. By the way, this is why we should never feel condemned by God because he's accepted us. That's why Romans 8, 1 could say, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's right after Paul said, oh man, the things I ought to be doing, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. I am a mess, wretched man that I am. And then he writes this, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh yeah, I forgot that, right? And understand, God wants us to extend that same kind of non-condemning acceptance to each other. Why? Not just so we can be so accepting. It's so that we can now position ourselves for influence. I'm telling you, this is pretty powerful stuff. I mean, can you imagine being known by a few people who were never shocked by what you told them? By a few people that you could go to with your deepest secret and you, you just would know that they're not going to reject you, that they're going to accept you? Let me ask you, would that change your life? Would that relieve some pressure? Recently, I, uh, I'm always hesitant to share these kinds of things because... Uh, <laughs> I've been pastoring a long time, and you would think I would learn my lessons, and when I share things like that, they usually come back to bite me on the butt, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and share it anyway. Because I told you, I'm, I'm no different than you guys are. I'm a week ahead of many of you, and a week behind a lot of you, spiritually. But uh, recently, I got a little sloppy in an area of my life, and Laura knew about it, and we had talked about it. And so I came in my office one day, and I called Gary. Gary's our director of adult education, and. I mean, he's like my Jonathan. We just work out together every day, and we just, you know. And if that's just a guy, I feel like I could tell anybody. So I call, uh, tell anything. So I called him in my office, and I said, man, this is what's going on, and I want to tell you because I want you to hold me accountable to be better. I want you to feel free to ask me any day, how am I doing? I said, but even more than that, I've checked with Laura, and don't just ask me because I could cover, I could dance around it a little bit, but you also have my permission to ask Laura how I'm doing. 
because Laura will throw me under the bus. <laughs> right? I was so relieved by just sharing that with somebody. And I got up and I gave him a hug. I said, I hope you're not disappointed. <laughs> and in typical Gary fashion, he said, oh, that's why I love you so much. How cool is it to have somebody like that in your life? Now, understand at Hope, that's what we're committed to. We're committed to you getting to have that kind of environment, those kinds of relationships for everybody here. We want to do it through our small group ministry. And I know what the pushback is. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Mike, I've been listening to you. This whole idea of joining, getting in a group of people that you don't know, it seems structured, it seems forced, it seems unnatural. And you're wondering, can you, know, can you, can you really, really have relational intimacy just created unnaturally like that through a program hey you 10 go there you 12 go there good luck can you really do that and the answer is no just doing that no no that doesn't mean we have relational intimacy but this is what I've learned over the years and this is what I'm learning I'm, I'm finally getting through my thick skull God honors our attempts at structure and attempts to do the best we can to get people together in community because we hear it all the time I mean, we, we, we hear story after story of strangers coming together, some with fears, <laughs> some with preconceived ideas, some kicking and screaming. And then a year later, they're saying, man, I've got to tell you, Mike, greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. In fact, Mike, over the last year, I have developed some of the best relationships I've ever had in my life. They will tell you, for the first time in my life, I finally feel like I can be transparent. For the first time in my life, I feel like there's people I can actually talk to about what's really going on in my life, what's really going on in my marriage, what's really going on with my kids. They will tell you the past year, this has been the catalyst to change and growth in my life. And all I can tell you is it's because God honors it when we come together and say, we don't exactly know how to live together in community. And I'll talk more about this next week because for most of my life, I haven't really wanted to live together in community. But when we get together and say, you know, we don't exactly know how to do this, but we're not going to stop trying. We're committed. We're going to make it work. There's something about, I believe God says, I like that. I'm going to honor that. There's some great stuff that's going to happen in your life. By the way, we've learned from groups like AA and NA that structured environments can result in the kind of intimacy that can bring about life change. That's why we have a group here called Celebrate Recovery. They meet Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. You know, it's for people that find themselves addicted to things. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol. Maybe you're addicted to prescription drugs. Nobody knows that. Maybe you're addicted to gambling. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. You just can't turn the computer off any free moment you have. And so these people, they come together so they can encourage one another and pray for one another so that they can be healed. And I know what a lot of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, I think it's so cool that we're part of a church that has something like Celebrate Recovery where people who are drinking too much or taking pills or, uh, you know, they're addicted to porn or addicted to gambling, they can get some help, but I don't have an addiction. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You're addicted to image management. We all are. You're addicted to making sure that you're viewed a certain way, and when there's a gap, when there's a discrepancy in your life, you're addicted to covering it up. We all are. It's just our human nature. It's the way we're wired, and it may never change. But here's my question I'm going to close with. I know who you're doing image management with. All of us. <laughs> but who are you doing life with? You know. I know what you want to be known for, but who really knows you because it is so incredibly unhealthy 
to live with the secrets. You know it. I know it. It just eats at us from the inside out. Plus, let me just throw this out. The thing that you're working so hard to keep a secret, understand, and I'm just telling you this, it is going to surface eventually. It is going to be revealed eventually. It will come into the light. It's called the law of diminishing returns. Every time you get away with your secret, it's one less chance you're going to get away with it next time. It's going to come into the light. You're going to be exposed. So think about it. When it does come to the surface, and you're not in community with anybody, it is going to be to a group of people, a lot of people who don't know you, don't love you, don't care about you. So... Since it's eventually going to come out anyway, why not take the risk and give the body of Christ a chance to be the body of Christ to you by saying, you know what, I trust you guys. I'm going to tell you something about my life that nobody knows, and I want you to pray for me. I want you to, I'm open to any advice you have for me in this area because I don't want there to be this gap, this discrepancy. One of my favorite small group stories is when we started our empty nesters group, and uh, which is a joke, because all the kids come back home. I was on the shuttle this morning. All these parents, yeah, they graduated from college, back home. Another guy said, yeah, I graduated, I moved back home, brought my dog with me. I mean, it's like, so I don't, you know, I, can't, I said, I cannot remember, I, can't, I cannot imagine getting out of college and showing back up at my parents' house. They'd open the door, why are you here? I'm back to live, boom. <laughs> Good luck, that's what the way that was said through the door. I hope that works out for you, you know. But that's just what, they will come back. But anyway, we didn't know that. We were naive. We got together as Empty Nesters celebrating and uh, spent most of our time talking about our kids coming back home. But um, in that group, there was one couple, and I love this couple, godly, godly, godly couple, seasoned couple, credible spiritual maturity. And the wife, very quiet, kind of to herself, a little bit shy, introverted, never shared anything. And I'll never forget one time I said, do we have any prayer requests today? And without even raising her head, she said, I hate the people I work with. And there was silence. And we went, yeah, that's awesome. Not that you hate them, but you shared it with us. Not one person judged her. I mean, I was tempted to say, you think you hate the people you work with? You ought to meet my staff. Didn't say that. Didn't say that. This is her moment. This is her moment. And we prayed for her and encouraged her and followed her up later and God had changed her heart and taught her how to deal with it but she was carrying this burden and this guilt right so healthy to share that stuff at the same time you don't want to just be you don't want to be one of those people that just goes around and tells everybody everything you know you can't be like that I stand out in the portico one night and a lady walked up to me everybody around she says I got an STD from my former husband and my daughter's a prostitute I'm like wow I don't believe I'd have told that But I knew that was her burden, and it was bursting out of her. Where do you go to share that kind of burden, that kind of secret, the unknown part of you, knowing that when you share it, people are going to pray for you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to walk you through it. And I'm just going to tell you something. At Hope, that's what I want us to be known for. I think it's because I've been here so long. Easter will be my 19th year since I started the church. I think it's because I realize I got a lot shorter time left than I've had, that things seem to be more important. And there was probably a time that I wanted the church to be known for being big and excellent and effective. But this is what I want to be known for. If I had a legacy, this would, this would, I want this to be my legacy. 
I want to be known in the community as the church, not the church with great programs, not the church with great productions or great services, not the church that has great music or great children's ministry or great student ministries, all played in key, a, a key and an important role. But I just want to be known for a church as a church that just loves people where they are and we encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to be known as the church when someone describes our church to somebody else, they say, you should go to that church. You can be yourself. You can be real there. You can be honest there. They'll accept you where you are. I want to be known as the place where people can actually experience the body of Christ the way, the way God designed the body of Christ to function, where we can experience community the way it was designed to be experienced. I think that's what you want to. It's what you want as a church. That's what you want in your own life. So next week, we're going to give you the opportunity to get connected in small groups so that you can experience this community and I know what some of you are thinking, especially you old crusty, crodgy Christians that have been Christians forever. You know, the joy's gone, like you got baptized in vinegar and you know, weaned on a dill pickle type thing. You know who you are, you know. I know what some of you are thinking. I tried that whole small group thing, and that was a bad experience. Well, we've all gotten bad haircuts. We still get haircuts, don't we, right? We've all heard bad messages. We still show up for church. We've all seen the hurricanes. We go back, you know. <laughs> so even if you've been a Christian forever and you've tried small groups and you didn't like it, that doesn't excuse you. You still need to be in a small group. And so, Mac, I love you. <laughs> Next week, we want to give you the chance to take the step. If you can't wait, you have this little flyer in your bulletin. It says, connect me. Several ways you can do it. One, you, you can scan the QR code. You can text connect me to the phone number, or you can just go to the website, gethope.net. There's a button there that says connect me. It's going to give you an opportunity to send an email, and you're going to get back all the information you need. Now, let me just say this. We're going to do everything we can to make this as easy as possible. There is no perfect way, but when it's all said and done at the end of the day, you got to want to be in a small group. you got to make the choice. You, gotta, you know what? If you want to get tickets to a concert and you think it's going to sell out, you'll figure out a way to do it, won't you? You'll get there early. You'll stand in line. You may camp out if you want to, if you want to get the new iPhone, right? You may do that. If you're that dumb, you may do that. You know, you want to get your kid on a certain soccer team, you'll figure out how to make it happen. You want to get your kid in a certain school, you'll figure out how to make it happen. If you want to get in a small group, you'll figure out how to make it happen. And we're going to do everything we possibly can to make that. It's the easiest step you've ever been through in your life. But when it's all said and done at the end of the day, the ball's in your court. And I hope you make the right choice. Because this choice literally could be the choice that changes your life forever. Let's pray. Father, thanks for community. And, and Father, I'll be the first one to admit, half my professional ministry life, I never got it. I had it, but I didn't understand the value of it. And I always thought it just should happen. It doesn't just happen. Nothing just happens. So God, I pray that you'll honor our attempt and our structure, our program, if you will, to allow people to get into groups together and begin to get to know one another and accept one another and love one another and be what the body of Christ is intended to be to one another. Father, I think our church is going to change because I think lives are going to change and I think our community is going to change. And so right now I give you the glory, the credit for all that's going to happen 
In your name we pray. Amen.